welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I am going to be giving you all the game recap from the Thunder Nets game on Friday. And there were a lot of really promising pieces to the game. I'm going to be talking about Teo Maladone. I'm going to be talking about SGA. I'm going to be talking about Darius Baisley. Just a lot of these little pieces here and there who played amazing in this game. So I'll be talking about that along with the game recap. And, you know, when I've been doing these game recaps, something that I've been getting told is like, sometimes I stretch things on a little bit too much. Uh, I don't know if you guys like all agree with that or whatever, but yeah, I kind of like break down like a lot of plays in just throughout the game. I like to like analyze stuff like that. So it does get a little bit lengthy at times. I'm going to try to cut it back down to maybe like the 10 minute mark on how long I kind of try to break down the games and then go into my key points. But yeah, that that's just something there. And I'm going to try it out today. If you guys don't like the style of it, make sure to tell me and I'll definitely go back to the more in-depth play-by-plays that you guys have kind of been accustomed to. But yeah, so we came into this game at 8-9. and nine. We were looking to climb back up to the coveted 500 record while the Brooklyn Nets they were sitting at 12 and 8, so they wanted to get up to 13 and 8. And one thing that really was a major factor uh, leading into the um, into the game tonight, Shams uh, of the Athletic reported that Kevin Durant was not going to play. So I kind of based my whole entire preview around. You know, Kevin Durant, like, is Dort going to be guarding Durant or Harden? Well, it's not really a question now. You know, it wasn't a question because Kevin Durant, he wasn't playing. Uh, He was trying to, I guess, heal up from a prior injury or something. And they still had Norvell Peel, Nicholas Claxton, Spencer Dinwiddie out. So those three guys, but then they also had the, uh, the loss of Kevin Durant, which seemed like it would hurt big time. And for the Oklahoma City Thunder, they did not have George Hill. They, uh, they had Josh Hall as listed as out, but he actually played in the game. So that was kind of weird. Um, but Ty Jerome and Trevor Reza, obviously those are out. So those are your three guys throw Josh Hall out of the mix because he did step on the floor. I don't know if, uh, Adam Silver is going to be too happy about that one, but yeah, that, that's something that uh, occurred there. But, I mean, just in the first quarter, I want to say, like, absolute mayhem broke loose, not just in the game, but also just through, like, TV providers. And I don't know where you guys exactly are, but I know some people um, were watching, like, freaking MMA fights for the first 30 minutes of the game instead of the Thunder game, like, they had some really weird, like, Shogun MMA stuff going on, uh, I, I didn't really have to deal with it, but I've, I heard and saw people having to go through that crap, and it really, it really did suck for them, because, like, the first quarter, that's kind of where all the fun builds up, that's where all the storylines come out of, for the most part, kind of lays the foundation for the games, I know some people enjoy, like, only the second halves and the the like the fourth quarter but I enjoy it all I really enjoy the first quarter so you know if you're one of those people who 
were kind of screwed over by Fox Sports Oklahoma yesterday. I'm going to try my best to at least fill you in on what happened in the first quarter. And for the most part, it kind of just was like a bit of a back and forth here. Al Horford, he started off on the right foot yet again. I mean, he went 5 of 5 in the previous game. He started off in the first quarter of Friday's game, shooting 3 of 4 from downtown. So he kind of led the way there. He had 9 points in the first quarter. You had Teo Maladone. He had two three balls. And SGA, uh, he was getting to the line. He had um, six trips there. He only hit four of his shots. Hit a normal field goal. So he had six points by the end of that first half. And, you know, those are your, your main three guys. And for the Brooklyn Nets, they were kind of doing the similar, like a similar thing where they just had a couple of pieces trying to do uh, a lot of the heavy lifting for the squad. And they had that through James Harden. He was going all out against Lou Dort, just penetrating right to the basket. And it ended up helping a lot. He had double digits through the first 12 minutes of the game on 4 of 5 shooting, 1 of 2 from the 3-point range. And he also had 3 rebounds and 2 assists. So he was getting everybody involved. Kyrie Irving was as well. He had 3 assists in that first quarter. And that led to some buckets outside for people like Joe Harris. So it really wasn't like a, a bit of a breakout for anybody, I would say. Um, but the Nets did actually have a nine-point advantage. They were up 36-27 to 27 entering the second quarter. Like I said, largely in due part to uh, James Harden, Kyrie, and uh, hell. I mean, DeAndre Jordan was 3-3 three three in the quarter as well. So you definitely need to mention his name but the real you know important parts of this game came in the early goings of the second quarter and the Brooklyn Nets went on a 15-0 run in the first three minutes and 30 seconds to take a 24 point lead and James Harden continued to just cook up the Nets they had Jeff Green at the uh the center spot so the floor was really spaced out led to some easy penetrations inside and Oklahoma City could not match the Brooklyn Nets they shot 0 of 6 in that time uh Brooklyn were able to chip in 15 collectively and you know in that time we had a bit of a funky lineup it actually worked fairly well against the Phoenix Suns not really in this game we had Diallo Kenrich Williams Lou Dort Poku and Muscala being our five guys whenever we kind of just fell into that gigantic crater. And I don't really know what to blame it on. I think Hamadou Diallo can seriously just take teams by himself. So when he's in the like in the zone, just throw him around with shooters. I think that may have been the idea there because Williams, Dort, Poku, and Muscala all kind of have that tendency to fire away from downtown. But outside of that, man, I don't really see those other four guys being able to like isolate or be the uh, initiators in the offense. So it's a bit of like a hit or miss um, lineup just based on how Diallo plays and whether or not he passes out. And then also on defense, they need to clamp up. And they didn't do that. And that's why, you know, the Nets kind of pounced out to a uh, gigantic lead. And then Kyrie Irving was also getting hot like right after 
James Harden was. Joe Harris was still heating up there. And um, I don't know, man. They were just all able. The, the duo, or I guess trio, of Harden, Irving, and Joe Harris led the way and got them up pretty, pretty big by the halftime. They were up 76-59. to 59. They could not miss from the field. They shot in both quarters one and two. 15 of 26 from the fields. So they were shooting 57% in those quarters. But the important factor in quarter one to quarter two was how they were getting those 15 shots to go. The Nets shot 7 of 13 from downtown in the second quarter. That's 54%. While in the first quarter, they were just 3 of 8 from outside. So that's how they were able to get such a uh, big lead and and the thunder i mean they dropped a decent amount of points in the quarter as well but it was nowhere near at the same clip as the brooklyn nets so we just could not keep up with them they were shooting um well into the high 50s as i mentioned for the half while the thunder they shot just 41 percent and from downtown just 8 of 20 so big difference on where teams were getting their points and in the third quarter it was much the same stuff. Like, Al Horford, uh, he wasn't really helping a ton on any high ball screens from DeAndre Jordan. It led to a lot of open looks for Kyrie Irving. He started scoring uh, eight of the team's first 12 points in that third. And OKC actually gave um, the Nets a bit of a scare because they went on an 8-0 run to cut the lead to 13 uh, with 6.30 to go in the third. But then the Nets went on a run of their own again, 9-3 run to bump their lead up to 19, and they really were not trying to look back at all. They had as large as a 22-point lead in that third quarter. And then in the fourth quarter, I mean, the Nets just got pretty comfortable with their lead, but then Teo Maladone just went crazy. He helped the Thunder get on a 9-0 run to cinch the gap up to 13 points, but then the Brooklyn Nets went on a 12-2 tangent to pretty much put this game to bed. They were up 23 points with seven minutes to go, and the OKC Thunder really could not come back uh, that many points in that much time. So Brooklyn Nets ended up winning 147-125. to Absolute showcase from both sides when it comes to offensively. Um, but I think there are a lot of great talking points from the game itself. And it starts with rookie Teo Maladone. He was just locked in from the three-point range. He shot, get this, he shot six of six from downtown in Friday's game. In total, eight and nine from the field. He was not missing. He had to fill in for the um for George Hill at the starting two. So he was getting big minutes. He actually led the team, or I guess it was a tie with Lou Dort, but he played 33 minutes for us. And he was just absolutely cooking. He has had all of the little inklings to having a breakout game probably since the start of this year. And it's been something that I've talked about. I'm not going to go over here and be like, oh, I knew this was going to happen because obviously I did not. I didn't even mention Teo Maladone in my game preview on the podcast or online. Um, I don't believe so. I'm not going to be 
talking like I knew Maladon was going to go off this game. But he's been left wide open from downtown pretty much all year. And he's just been like inches shy from, you know, hidden, hidden shots. Just it, it's so close. The mechanics he has on his jumper is so great. He squares up. He gets enough arc on it. The release point, perfect. And when he's being left wide open, you know, it was just a matter of time before he was going to be able to start firing away. And, you know, even though it says 6 of 6 from downtown, it was almost 7 of 7 because he had his foot on the line for one of his attempts. It was ruled a long two. But if he hit that, he would have cemented himself in the record books. And he actually tied a couple records with that 6-6 six and six performance um, on Friday. And it tied Karan Butler for the most consecutive threes hit um, by a player. Uh, at least franchise-wise, Karan Butler went 6-6, six six, like however many years ago. Whenever he used to, I, I think he was the one who used to pretend like he was calling up his cell phone or something when he hit a shot, but he went 6-6 six six way back. Teo Maladon, however many years later, he ties that record right there. And then he also tied an NBA rookie record for most threes hit without a miss with the 6-6 six of six game. So that's going to be a fun trivia question far down the line because I, I don't want to say it was like unexpected, but definitely shooting 6-6 six six from three. Um, yeah, that's, that's really surprising. And his three point percentage before the game sat at 31.7. He's a 37.6% three point shooter just off of this Nets game alone. When you throw in those six makes from downtown, his percentages shoot up and he looks like a real perimeter threat now because he is, and he showed that in this game. And it wasn't just from downtown, like he was getting wide open off of looks from like SGA I think he was getting off screens like pulling up by the end of it when he got his confidence but on the other side of the ball he was pretty solid he was defensively sound in those 33 minutes he had a big task to be playing I mean when you're looking at the Brooklyn Nets roster it is just firepower all around you got Kyrie you got James Harden luckily there was no Kevin Durant but Joe Harris seriously kind of filled that role up because he was like a machine from outside in the mid-range so Maladon had to split time up against really people playing like stars in the game and he held up pretty strong the only little knock I can make on him and it's like the biggest nitpick ever so you may just want to throw it out the window is that you know whenever he's going on closeouts he's like long jumping and if he was up against like uh, Chris Paul per se, Chris Paul would have just jumped right into Maladon because he was kind of getting in the shooter's area when he was trying to close out um, from you know a lot a lot of distance, trying to cover that ground up. If the defender would have just put up like a funky jumper to solely get the foul, they would have got it a frequent amount of times. It didn't really happen that much, so it's great for uh, Teo. I think maybe Mark Dagnall might show him in the tape like to be a little bit uh less aggressive, I'd say, on the closeouts. Outside of that, though, I think defensively, Teo Maladon played an extremely great game and even had a steal to show for it. 
I think the scariest part about this game for Teo Maladon is that he didn't even showcase the best part of his game on Friday. The best part of his game is not defense. It's not shooting the basketball. It's creating shots for others. I've told you guys, I mean, and you saw it in the preseason games. Whenever Teo was getting these starting jobs and playing 30 minutes in the preseason, he was running the offense and he was running it very, very well. Do you guys not remember the jump passes that he was making? He's throwing cross-court, no-look, over two defender jump passes to, like, Frank Jackson for threes. And Jackson's gone now, but plug anyone else there, and he'll still make the pass, right? Maladone is very good at reading the court. His court vision is really solid for a 19-year-old. Like, it is at an elite stage for his age. He reads the defense perfectly fine. Whenever he drives in, he's not even looking at the basket half the time. He's looking at his roll man if there is one. And then he's looking at the opposite corner to see if somebody on the defense is trying to play help when he's driving in. And if someone's trying to help in from that corner, you already know where Maladone is throwing that ball up. And he may just want to fake out the defender, sell it, go up in the air, and then fling it over to the corner. It doesn't matter. He can bounce past it. He can do no look. He can do jump pass. He gets the job done when it comes to passing the basketball. And when he was just thrusted into this starting unit, obviously, he's not going to be the main facilitator on the team. We all know Shea Gilgis-Alexander is the main playmaker. He led the team with five assists um, because of that. But yeah, SGA gets a lot of the touches, and SGA was the one driving people in. He was penetrating at a very high rate on Friday, and he was pulling defenders in to get Maladone open. So Maladone was the recipient of the kind of passes that he would be giving off. So you can imagine where Maladone would be in that SGA role, dishing it out to the wings of the corners. He can do that, and he can shoot. He is a perfect pairing with SGA. I definitely want to do like a sole episode or like a segment where I go really in depth into this because I really do think that there is some like question to be asked. Should Maladone be just asserted in this starting lineup long term or at least play with SGA for a lot of minutes because he really had not played a ton to this point. It was kind of just him running with the backups. But I think he's really made a statement in this game. He has shown to just everybody, whether you, you know, watch every single game or you just listen or look at the, the game highlights, he's shown that he can really be something. And he's shown it from the beginning, but now you can really see it on the stat sheets. Maladone looks very, very special. And as I mentioned, you saw not even the strongest part of his game on Friday. Big ups to him. I think the second guy I want to talk about is his partner in crime. It's SGA. Not only did Maladone score 24 points, but so did SGA. SGA drops 24 points on 7 of 10 shooting. So really at that same clip as Maladone's 8 for 9. He shot 0 of 1 from downtown, so he was not looking to be shooting like Maladone was. He was the one kicking it out to him, as I said. And he had... 13 trips to the line. He went 10 of 13 from the free throw line. And SGA was pretty much doubled. Like, 
near the entire game. I think Al Horford and some of these other bigs got a bit cold from downtown, or at least they wanted to... Uh, they just want to prioritize SGA. That's truly what it came down to. And when they had their bigs kind of missing from outside when they were testing them, you just needed to go to SGA for buckets. He has been Mr. Consistent inside. If you need a quick bucket, you give it to number two in blue, and he will get the job done for you. So SGA, he was attacking the basket at will on two guys. I remember specifically... They were trying to, like, trap him out at a wing or some some crap like that. Nah, he just went right through it and is able to go inside and uh, get to the spots he would like to. But he's just shown he's been a very special person getting to the basket. He doesn't look the part because, you know, he's not blazing fast like a De'Aaron Fox or whatever. But he's able to get, you know, a tiny bit of moves going, get you in some sort of rhythm, the defender that is, and then breaks it. And that's how he's able to escape the plane and get inside. And that's what he was doing on literally two defenders. And that's why you saw a ton of free throws. There was so much contact going his way. Either he was kicking it out to a wide open person, because yeah, they're double teaming him, or he was just charging right into people. And there were those times where he wanted to pass it, and then there were times where he wanted his. And he did just that, going right into Nets' bodies to pick up trips to the free throw line. I don't have any problem with that. You know, if you're going up for a shot, and you know you're going to get the foul call, or at least you should get the foul call, I th- I'd call that good shot selection. And SGA knew exactly when he could have had a shot to go attack and collect some easy ones. So this wasn't his usual forte game where he's going for, you know, hop step threes or, you know, trying to go into like isolations to the pull-up middies. This was solely about going inside and trying to get baskets or drive and dish. And that's something I'd say an all-star would do. He was getting his on the on the stat sheet, but honestly, his primary goal was to be distributing, and that he did. He just got 24 points on the side. So big bravo to him. If you're not voting SGA into the all-star game, come on, what are you doing? He just proved it yet again that he is playing at such a high level. And let me remind you, he is 22 years old, folks. A lot of bright future ahead for SGA. And damn, I mean, there hasn't been a game where he's been double teamed this heavily in like weeks. And he's played better in this game than a lot of the games where he's just taken people one-on-one so the amount of improvement we've just seen in in like the past five games have been huge you want to see that slope continue and if it does my goodness you guys will need to take cover because SGA is going to take the world by storm another guy who quietly made a big impact in this game was Hamadou Diallo and Hamadou Diallo had a season high of 25 points against the Brooklyn Nets however many weeks ago it was now I think it was like two or three but he got a season high there and it was against a very different Brooklyn Nets team they had Jared Allen man in the center position they had DeAndre Jordan behind him and 
in little bits and pieces, you had Jeff Green, right? He was still able to attack them and get easy buckets or trips to the line. He continued to do that to um, in in Friday's game. And you know what? I'm going to give myself a bit of credit. I, I thought that Diallo, you know, would play a pretty big role in this game. I thought that um, with the Brooklyn Nets losing Jared Allen, there was going to be a big void at the center spot. And when DeAndre Jordan was not on the floor, and even if he is on the floor, I'm taking Diallo over DeAndre Jordan or Jeff Green. And, you know, I think the Brooklyn Nets kind of realized that they may have had a problem with Hamadou Diallo because instead of letting him just attack at will and get his shots up, they just decided they weren't going to let the man shoot at all. Right as he's going to attack, he just gets harassed and like mauled by Brooklyn Nets players. He somehow had four made field goals, but 18 points. How does that happen? The reason is he got nine trips to the free throw line. And I'm going to give the Nets some props here. I think Steve Nash and his guys must have uh, broken down some Hamadou Diallo tape because there's been one like glaring hole in his game up until now, and it's been the free throw line. Hamadou Diallo has only hit 58% of his free throws coming into this uh, Nets game right here. So they just wanted to get right at him. They wanted him to earn the points instead of, you know, being able to dunk right over and hang up in the air for buckets, which he still managed to do, by the way. Don't get me wrong. But he had to earn it at the line, and he went 9 of 9 from the free throw line. So Diallo was getting it done, attacking, and whenever they were trying to force him into situations, he probably didn't want to be in. So big props to Hamadou Diallo. One of these big games from the 22-year-old once again, hoping he can continue this little streak of ferociously attacking the basket in his next game. I think Baisley for the Thunder also did a pretty solid job. He had 14 points on 5 of 9 shooting, 5 rebounds, 4 assists, a steal, and a block in 33 minutes. So he was kind of all over the place. I mean, he didn't have to deal with Kevin Durant in this game, so he was kind of let a bit more in the open when it came to playing on defense whenever they played the first matchup. He had to literally be glued to Kevin Durant if he wanted to stop him, and Kevin Durant still scored like 34 or 36 points or whatever it was. So Baisley, he had a little bit more free roaming to do on defense. That's why you saw the block and the steal, but on offense, he looked comfortable. He was more that face-up four. He was getting a lot of catch-and-shoot opportunities from Shea Gilgis-Alexander. He ended up shooting five threes in the game, hitting two of those. And he still was attacking the basket. Like, there was one play in particular where he was driving in from the left side. I'd say, like, left, left wing. Just charging in at, like, an angle straight towards the basket. He's got two dudes standing, like, right in front of the rim damn near. He somehow was able to like splice in between the guys with a hop step and then he flips up a reverse layup. It rolls around the basket like two times. I think uh, Chris Fisher said it was like a 720 or something. I guess that's probably what you would call it. And it goes in. That play right there for a man who's only 20 years old is really special. I have not seen 
a six foot eight guy doing that crap in a long time, especially not in a Thunder jersey, that is. So he was doing well, just shooting the basketball, but also attacking. I think the only starter that I could really be, you know, a little bit unhappy about is Lou Dort. Uh, he still had 10 points, and the entire starting unit actually dropped double digits along with Diallo. But Dort, he had 10 points on 2 of 14 shooting, though, and 1 of 9 from downtown. 5 of 6 from the free throw line, that's how he got up to double digits, but damn, man. Uh, the Nets were actually letting him open, and James Harden must have um, been maybe like secretly grinning about this. He's been waiting probably months to play Lou Dort again. And, you know, he may say that he just clamped up Lou Dort. I don't know about that. I think Lou Dort was literally just being left open to shoot the basketball. And for whatever reason, he had his off day. So, you know, James Harden may take that one back. Um to uh, wherever it may be. He may be talking about that one for a while. I'm not really going to be complaining too much about Dort, though. He had a big task in defending James Harden in this game. So what he did on offense is kind of just a complimentary. I know the efficiency is not that solid, but he's definitely going to get back up to the numbers that we have been seeing for the season. He's like a 40% three-point shooter this, this year. So one of nine, I'm taking that as a fluke. I think the Thunder Bigs, they kind of had a bit of an issue here, capitalizing inside. One of the points that I stressed in the preview was that we needed to be going at DeAndre Jordan the whole game. We need to be going at Jeff Green the whole game, attacking the rim. Because if we're shooting from three, we lose the only real edge that we have. DeAndre Jordan has not been able to defend more athletic fours and fives. I told you about Julius Randle going off for 30 points. Vucevic going off for 34. Bam Adebayo going off for 41 points. Why couldn't it have been Al Horford or Isaiah Roby or something? It's because they were shooting the ball from three, and Roby didn't actually shoot a three. He didn't shoot at all in this game. But Al Horford, he stuck to downtown, and it did show success because, sure, he did hit four triples, but he didn't go inside. So, his 16 points, 12 of them came off of the threes, and then he hit like two, uh, I'd say like inside shots or whatever. Actually, I take it back. It was only one because in the paint, Al Horford shot just one of five from the field. And that kind of is a bit of an issue, like not only just the percentages, but I feel like you'd want to be trying to just hoist up as many shots as you could. And I know Al Horford probably is Jordan's like wet dream of a matchup right now because Al Horford's not the fastest or most athletic guy. DeAndre Jordan might actually have his number. So defending him in the paint may not be all that difficult. But what about like an Isaiah Roby or something? I feel like him slashing to the basket would create some uh, serious issues for DeAndre Jordan. We didn't get to see any of that. I get wanting to try to throw a ton of shots up from deep because that's how you're going to get up a lot of points and big uh, big numbers there. But I don't know. I, I would have just preferred us having more of like an inside-oriented attack from our bigs. We haven't seen it really at all this year, and it would have been a change of pace that fans probably would not have liked. 
But this would have been the game to try it out because DeAndre Jordan seriously has been one of the only holes in their roster at this point. It, their their issues have come on defense, I'll tell you that much. And they didn't really have that many uh, issues on defense in this game. And what ended up happening from Al Horford and Isaiah Roby not wanting to shoot inside kind of just turned into a snowball effect because what it did was it put DeAndre Jordan kind of in a spot where he didn't need to be on the floor. Like he is solely out there to be the big body, get the rebounds and uh, maybe get a couple of shots up in, in and around the paint, but he's not stretching the floor out for you. And outside of setting screens, there's no point in him being 20 feet um, away from the basket. So he kind of does become a little bit of a liability because you can't isolate with him out there, uh, really. Um, so they were able to just get DeAndre Jordan out of there. He only had to play 20 minutes in this game, and he still dropped 10 points and 8 rebounds, by the way. So good on him. But they got Jeff Green out there instead to play the center position. He played 29 minutes, and what it did was it just allowed everybody to isolate because it spread out the floor. It got everybody involved. And as I was mentioning a bit earlier, James Harden became a problem penetrating inside with the 10 points in the first. In the second quarter, Joe Harris and Kyrie Irving became the issue. They were able to go off for 16 points combined. Really, Kyrie Irving just trying to go in and around the basket. And um, Joe Harris kind of being the byproduct of people like overhelping and all that stuff. And then in the third quarter, it seriously was all Kyrie Irving. He had 12 points in the third quarter for them. And I think the main reason why these three guys all were able to get hot at like different times in the game is because their play styles were all different. Harden's game style was really about attacking the basket, penetrating, trying to get some foul calls. He did uh, get a couple of threes up here and there but that really was not the main factor in uh in his game he had six field goals made inside to just three from outside so he was about attacking it worked for him and when he was attacking he got people to help and he passed he had 11 assists in the game and he had, and even a 10 rebounds so you can't forget about that he was straight up balling for them throughout the night and then joe harris he was kind of just reaping the benefits of James Harden and uh, Kyrie Irving. He was the catch-and-shoot player for them that they needed. He hit five three-pointers in the game, and then he was getting a couple pull-up middies in, too. He had two uh, field goals from inside, and that's really what those shots were. So he had 20 points off of pretty much wide-open shots, so good on Joe Harris. And then Kyrie Irving, he was crushing it, and the unique part about Irving is he's not all about threes or layups. He likes taking it to the mid-range a lot. He made six pull-up middies in the game, and in the modern style of the NBA, that's just kind of a shocker. I was a little bit surprised to see Irving just having that sort of shot selection. Like, I was actually excited watching Irving take those shots for whatever reason. It's kind of refreshing. Sucks that they were going in, because obviously... You know, I'm a Thunder fan. I want the Thunder to win. But, yeah, just seeing a lot of success there is not, you know, a thing that you see every single game. So, pretty cool to see Irving cooking it up from the mid-range. Wish he uh, was playing for the Thunder in this one. But it is what it is. 
he was able to knock up 25 points, 5 rebounds, and 7 assists through the game. Really just through middies and then passing out, just like James Harden did. You also need to mention someone like Landry Shamit, who was really the Joe Harris light. He was the second guy off the catch and shoots that they were looking for. He hit three three-pointers of his own. And how about ex-Thunder player Timothy Luawo Cabarro, who had four three-pointers. So they were going all over the place from downtown. They ended up hitting 19 throughout the entire course of the game. And the overcompensation from the threes that were being left open led to a lot of paint play, actually. They had 70 points in the paint in this game, and we were getting pretty damn physical about it. Like, the Thunder did not want free buckets to be just thrown inside. And there were even some three-pointers outside where they were fouling. But not only were these guys fouling down low, which is not normally an issue, like fouling on an open look to make them run at the line is a good thing. But what's not a good thing is giving them and one opportunities, especially when they had 10 chances at them in the game. And that's exactly what happened. Hurt us big time. That's one of the major reasons why we lost this game. I think that overall, though, the Thunder did have some pretty promising moments here, especially with Teo Maladone. I'm going to need to do a special on him sometime because he really has proven he can be something for our team in the future. But he did well. SGA did well. Some of our supporting cast in the game also played pretty solid. So that outweighs the bad of us being outscored you know by 22 points 147 to 125 and the thunder they have an entire weekend to just sit on this one try to improve for their next game they're going to be going against the eight and nine houston rockets and they're playing a game tomorrow or i guess actually you know what it'd be today um by the day this goes live so the houston rockets they're going to be playing a game against the New Orleans Pelicans to determine if they are 9-9 and or 8-10. and It'd be kind of cool if they're 8-10 and match records with us, but whatever. We're going to be hosting them on Monday at 7 p.m. It's going to be a baseball set, so they're going to be here on Monday and Wednesday. I'll make sure to keep you guys updated for that game and just everything surrounding it. I'm also going to, since we have a two-day gap, bringing you guys one of these like story-filled episodes which personally are my favorite so i highly suggest you take a listen to those but other than that guys that is going to wrap up today's podcast i thank you all for listening and i will talk to you all next time see ya